Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to The Evolver, sponsored by The Alchemist Kitchen, hosted by Ken Jordan. It's healthy to be skeptical. When something strange crosses your path, it's wise to question it, test it, poke at it, and use your reason to make sense of it. I'm an empiricist by nature. I was raised as a secular materialist, and even though I now see a world of spirit that is quite different than the one I once thought true, I still use the same type of critical thinking I always have. Nothing's changed on that front. I'm not a believer. Belief in something that I haven't experienced for myself isn't useful to me. And when it comes to strange or anomalous phenomena, I not only need to see or experience something for myself, I also want it corroborated by others. For years when someone tried to do energy healing on me, I thought that maybe I felt something. Vaguely. But I didn't really. Then I started to go through what I now think of as a spiritual opening, and I became more sensitive. I could pick up on the subtle effects created by body workers who used energy healing as part of their practice. It tended to be gentle, soft, soothing. And as I compared notes with other people who received this kind of body work, they described something pretty similar. So I came to accept that energy medicine in some form or another is an actual thing. Then I learned more about chi and prana and the Eastern esoteric schools that put energy flow at the center of their practice. And I came to accept that there's more to all this than Western materialism suggests or is allowed by our medical paradigm. But I'll tell you, getting to know Energy Ed Edwards has taken my understanding about energy to a whole nother level. There is nothing subtle about Energy Ed. First time I talked to him on the phone, he was in rural Georgia, where he lives, and I was on the sidewalk in Manhattan. He was able to push and pull my body forward and back as if he had tied a string around my chest and was tugging from down the block. On that call, Ed explained that he had the ability to generate and channel energy at a level that few others are capable of, and that the voltage could actually be measured by instruments in a lab. The charge coming off Ed's body is four times greater than the most accomplished Chinese qi master, and it can accomplish healings in extraordinary ways. Ed attributes his capabilities to being trained from infancy in a Cherokee energy medicine tradition by his grandmother, who comes from a line of Cherokee hands-on healers dating back hundreds of years or more. He insists that everyone has the potential to do what he does, that his way of working with energy is a skill, and it can be taught. For those of you who have had direct experience of this kind of energy in your own life, I think you'll find Ed's story fascinating. And if you're one of those people who hasn't yet had the conversion experience, I ask that you maintain your skepticism, but withhold judgment, and enjoy this conversation as a kind of metaphysical entertainment. One of the hazards of being an adult in the world is having your back go out. I have a tricky back, 
and occasionally it does pop, and the pain is not fun. In those situations, you've just got to rest, and eventually the inflammation will go down. But one of the lucky things about being part of a store that sells herbal remedies like the Alchemist Kitchen is that there's stuff you can find on the shelves when you need it. Evolver is the proud parent of the Alchemist Kitchen, which we describe as a botanical dispensary devoted to the power of plants. Under our own label, Plant Alchemy, we produce a line of CBD products, including an organic CBD balm. And I'll tell you, applying CBD balm topically on the area of my back that was throbbing the most really did cut the pain and quickly. I felt the difference in just a few minutes. CBD, as you probably know, is a remarkable component of the cannabis plant that can have profound effects on your health. Its clinical name is cannabidiol, and unlike THC, the more famous part of the cannabis plant, CBD does not get you high. But it does have many medical benefits, which are being documented in research labs around the world. People are taking CBD for a wide range of conditions, including chronic pain, Crohn's disease, diabetes, anxiety, rheumatoid arthritis, and more. It comes in a variety of forms, including oil that you can take with a dropper or as a vape, or as a topical salve, which is how I've used it for my back. Plant Alchemy CBD is made to be sold in New York City, where cannabis is not yet legal, so it has almost no THC, less than 0.03%, which is the legal limit. You won't get a buzz, but you will get real CBD benefits. Our Plant Alchemy CBD is the highest quality CBD you can get, made from organically and sustainably grown hemp, using living soil organic principles and produced in a state-of-the-art laboratory, free of any residual solvents for the purest oil possible. You can buy Plant Alchemy CBD Balm and our other CBD products online at thealchemistkitchen.com, thealchemistskitchen.com. There's an S in there. Or if you're in New York, come by our space at 21 East 1st Street between 2nd Avenue and the Bowery in Lower Manhattan. In the shop, mention you heard about The Alchemist Kitchen on the Evolver podcast and get 10% off any herbal remedy. Ed, thank you for joining us on the Evolver podcast. Great to be here. So many people may have first heard of you, if those were aware of the kind of work that you do, uh, because of an association with the film phenomenon, the John Travolta film. Yes. uh, Dr. William C. Livingood, the famous crop circle researcher, was studying me. And he was in my association kind of what brought on that movie because in his studies of me and on one of the videos of recording me in the lab, he says, this is phenomenal. What this man's doing is phenomenal and stuff. And so uh, a science writer that was covering him and some others uh, that wrote little stories just kind of picked up on it and wrote a little quick clip on it, you know, that was different than what I do, but came off of that. A science writer was already covering him for the crop circles and everything. And when I came along and put me in the lab and they made the videos of me making his instruments go crazy, he said, this is absolutely phenomenal. This is phenomenal and stuff. And so they picked up on that one word, phenomenal, and came up, I guess, with a movie, phenomenal. In that film, John Travolta plays a guy Mm -hmm. who has got all kinds of capabilities. Correct, and that's that are the and those capabilities yeah. include 
being able to move things mm-hmm. energetically, energetically, being able to impact people with mm-hmm. his own energy. Correct. But then also like having a fit and breaking a mirror from a distance because he's most of that movie was Hollywood inspired from the point on. But what you were doing mm-hmm. in the lab, can yes. you describe that to me? Well, I was able to walk up to people and stand beside them and turn on an electrical field in my body and cause the people standing beside me to tingle and warm up. And that will register on instrumentation and in Dr. Levengood's lab and now in all these other research labs I'm affiliated with. And that was something you had been developing I've grown up, I've had it my whole life. My grandmother in my hometown community that raised me was known as a hands-on Christian healer. She did hands-on healing, but she read a lot of scripture when she did it. So this was something that was in the family. It's in the family, yeah. And her great-grandma did it, kind of passed it on to her. She, They always thought it had to jump generations. See, my grandmother had 30% Cherokee in her. Okay, and through the location of where I'm from, they started the Trail of Tears in my county. Okay, the Cherokee Nation occupied my county where I grew up at, which is ancient Indian holy grounds. Where where in the country is this? Clayton, Georgia, northeast Georgia. And the Cherokee Indian Reservation is 27 miles. That's what they condensed it down to. It's 27 miles from Clayton. And Bryson City, where my grandmother and grandfather both come from, was just on the other, this side of the Cherokee Nation up there. And Bryson City was the home of the Anunnaki. I don't ever say that right. It's Anunnaki or something like that. But they came up to the Smoky Mountains, Appalachian Mountains, my area, in 400 A.D., So in 400 A.D., they migrated up from an island off in the South Atlantic. Some people call it Atlantis. But they came up from there because warring nations in South America kept attacking them because they were scared of them because they had these same abilities like I have today. So that's in the lineage, in the traditions of of the... Native American. Of the Native American Cherokee Nation. Not, you know, not really the other Indian, Indian Indians, but it was just like the Cherokee right there in my neck of the woods. It just so happened. And so this... So it was, this was, a, this kind of capability was understood in the community where you grew up. I found it in the 1800 writings of the transfer of the uh, Cherokee Nation to the House of Congress Library. So you were, your grandmother... My grandmother, was, her great-grandmother, was, was, and... and other people in the community mm-hmm. as well? Was- as, other people in the community as well, not many, just a handful, had certain little minute abilities. How did your grandmother communicate this to you when you were young? She said that I can't teach you how to do anything. You will have to develop it. All I can do is validate that it's there, it's real, and don't let anybody beat it out of you. Now, I had come across something that said that when you were born, Mm-hmm. That you had some health issues, and that your grandmother worked with you. When she you were worked on me heavily with energy healing. Yes, for three years every day until you were three years old. Yes, yeah. And how did you respond to that as an infant? Do you remember what that was? I like remember at one about one years old of being able to play patty cake with her and feel the magnetic heat in my hands. You know, and by the time I got on up into kindergarten, first grade, I thought everybody was doing this. I thought this was normal. What was it? so? How else did it expand for you? In terms of how you like what everybody was doing, was it the patty cake only? The patty or was cake was that? the awareness of it. You know, 
Playing and, and then and then coming in and I could come in. I couldn't even get my hands to go together when I was in my grandmother's presence. And so I'd come, uh, uh, and it was like real strong magnetic fields here. Your, your hands were repelling against repelling each other. Repelling against each other. And is she encouraging that? And she or was encouraging that. Did she ever talk to you about what that was about, or she just kept it she just energetic? played energetically there. And then when people would come to my grandmother to have her services to, for the hands-on healing, she was very famous for removing thrush, thrush from babies. She was also very famous for talking fire out of people. And for stop bleeding. I'm sorry, talking fire? Talking fire out of people. Talking fire out of being calming people down. Like if they burnt, taking the fire out. They would come to her when they'd get burned bad or something, and uh-huh. she would just do a little bit. A minute or two later, they'd be smiling. But when she would do it, uh, most of the time we had a family business. Her and my grandfather opened Edward's studio in 1929 in my little hometown. So I grew up in a photography studio. I would be in the dark room by the age of 10 till I was, I'm still there. From the age of 10 on, I was in a dark room working and grandma would be back in the portrait area and that's where she'd do her hands-on healing or painting pictures. And uh, when people would go back for the hands-on healing, if I was in the dark room and she would do it, I'd start just tingling like crazy in there, in the dark room. And if I was loading film, I I used a four by five speed graphic camera. So if I was loading my film or something and she would do it, I would notice my hand imprints would print up in the film when we processed it. I thought everybody was doing it when I came into this world. So when you were a little kid, that must have been kind of interesting to have Mm -hmm. that kind of capability. There were other kids that had it when we were in preschool. It was wild. I can definitely remember in preschool out in the yards because it rained a lot and we had big mud puddles, but several of us kids could run at the mud puddle and then hover across it. And we would just run as a group of us and just across it and we'd never get our feet wet. Do the other kids remember that today? A couple of them do, and we might be able to find them. So why, but what happened with them that they didn't keep that capability and you did? By the time we got, see, their parents or so didn't really do that much or know about it. They was all very religious in my community, Southern Baptist and stuff. So by the time we got into the second grade, the other kids got it beat out of them. All of y'all could be doing what I'm doing right now if it had not got beat out of you. You were born with it. This Classes that we're going to do here, I'm going to teach you how to start the generator up or restart it. It was running in you when you were born. It was running in you when you were up to about the second grade, but the idea of the energy got beat out of you, so you never processed it from their own, and you got stuck in one-sided brain and one level of conscious. So I really want to talk to you more about how you can teach this. I'm fascinated by that. Before we get to that, I want to talk more about your own mm-hmm. development of your awareness of, of these capabilities. Well, just, and, and in particular, what it must have been like in a religious community in the Deep South. You had to be I, very careful. In what way? Well, I learned that I, very early on, I learned to be very careful about not letting anybody see me playing with it inside the church community because I got locked up in closets. I got whoopings. I was told I was playing with the devil, that I was going to burn in hell. I was going to be all kind of things. That's how they beat it out of all the other kids. The other kids didn't have a grandma that reinforced it. 
So it got beat out of your, your ideology there by religion and educational systems. And they really didn't know why they was beating this out of you other than they were taught it was the devil. So we had to tear the devil out of you. So for you, though, you knew that this was intrinsically a part of I knew it was part of something because Grandma was doing it. She meant more than what they meant to me. And so as you got older, as you became a, you know, well, By the time I got into second or third grade, this was very real. And I had two friends that knew what I could do from preschool on that uh, were very mischievous along with me. And they kept putting me up to all kinds of things. Oh, through. like what? Messing with a teacher from the back of the classroom. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> messing with other kids in there. Um, uh, you know, I got an eight-year-old right now, and I'm kind of scared. Uh, of the I could teach him how to do all kinds of things. Oh, I'm going to keep you away from him, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I could sit around in the preschool class and turn this energy on and start the patty cake thing. The patty cake seemed to be the trigger that turned it on and back then. And once I started that, then all the other kids sitting around me would start tingling. Really? And stuff. And if I did it just right, I could make them mess their pants and stuff. That was just preschool. And then uh, I had some more crazier things. I learned how to flip the polarity. I didn't know what I was doing back then. Okay. But according to these scientists that studied me today, at a young kid like that, I learned how to mentally change the polarity of the electrical fields in my brain. Just boom, that quick. So I could reverse it consciously, change the polarity. And when I would start changing the polarity, it caused people to either come toward me or kind of go away from me. So you're saying this is something that you were working with but didn't really understand I didn't know how what it was, what was going on. Or what was going on. Until or, you were in a lab. Yeah, until I was in a lab and it was quantified. I mean, I could put my hands in the lab on the instruments, do what I could do, and it makes the instruments go nuts. So where was the first lab that you did this kind of research in? Michigan. Dr. William C. Levingood's Pylandia Biophysical Labs in Grass Lake, Michigan. He had just retired from the University of Michigan as the physics professor. And but he, you know, old doctor scientists never retire. They just move it all home. And then he had a had a lab, a, bu- a great physics lab at home, and had it in the middle of a 250-acre compound. So it allowed us to expand the lab outside the lab. So what what did the lab actually measure? It measured charged density pulses, the electrical pulses that is in living life forms. So I worked with him the first four years, and then he wrote a peer-reviewed paper called Evidence for Charged Density Pulses Associated with Bioelectric Fields in Living Organisms. And that was the first paper I worked with where we proved the existence of this energy. See, he knew the existence of the energy already, but no one had ever come along at my level. Everybody else he had tested in his lab and everything had been down in the eight to 15,000 microamp level. Plants measured out about 4,000 microamps. Animals would measure out about 8,000 microamps. But when I hit that machine the very first time in his lab in 1994, after seeing him on TV and stuff, and after he had three people in front of me showing me what it would do, and when I got a hold of it, the very first time I did it on that run, it calculated out to 440,000 microamps. 440,000. So how much... Voltage is that? I mean, 
in terms of like what the human body normally well, can hold? It's not that much I mean, in voltage. The um, they say now that through my work with the scientists, I can deliver two amps of power. So you're saying that it's way more energy than a normal that oh, normally yeah. flows through the normal a, body. The normal body, person is five to, to five to fifteen thousand microamps only. So this is twenty times yeah, more. Twenty yeah. times more. You know, now it's a heck of a lot more than that. And so the lab work has enabled yeah. you to come back and fine-tune I fine-tune and develop new ways of doing things and by having the instant feedback and with neuroscientists standing right beside me telling me what the readings indicate, I've learned how to develop the pulses to now I can deliver nearly 2 million microamps. So when you say you develop the pulses, you keep pointing to the back of your head. There's there's a generator, and then there's nine different compartments, pairs, like positive and negative, pair, positive and negative. There's nine sections of the head that this generator then supplies power to, depending on what I'm doing. And you're controlling it through your thoughts. Oh, my thought. My consciousness controls my brain. My brain's an instrument of my consciousness. The brain is the instrument of your consciousness. Correct. Can you explain to me what you mean by that? Okay, my consciousness resides out here in this quantum field, quantum universe, uh, and then it's tied into my body through the electrical energy. Okay, I control this brain. This brain is a, a tool. It is a functioning system that my consciousness only has to supply a minute, tiny electrical flow to that then will amplify that flow to large amounts and can then do things here in this realm of consciousness. So the, you're able to essentially amp up or raise the, vol- to raise the energetic field. Way up there. Through your thought. Mm-hmm. Thought like starts it, brain processes it. Connecting to something beyond the body. Correct. Calling that in, mm-hmm. sort of being available to that. Is it a, a physical sensation? Correct. How does it feel? feels like there's electric static field all the way around my whole body. I'm sitting here right now. I'm tingling from here all the way up my arms. Uh, the electric fields in my hands are probably 400,000 more than what's in any of your hands. It's happening all the time. And I'm all the time with it. I like that feeling. It keeps me younger. It keeps me feeling healthy. Um, I'll be 60 this summer. I haven't been to a doctor for any medical condition, and that was only because I was forced since I was 18. I haven't had any pharmaceuticals in my life. Yeehaw. <laughs> Whenever something goes wrong in my body or if I fall and get hurt or whatever, I can lay back, vibrate up a field of energy, send energy to that area, and then the healing mechanisms in that area go to work processing the problem. So when you were young, mm-hmm. you grew up in a culture where your grandmother was a healer. Mm-hmm. Did you begin to do healing work yourself? No. Why not? I was too mischievous. I was having too much fun there, just yeehawing with everybody with this energy. Oh. I didn't go into any healing work until about 2003. Oh, so this is kind of recent for you. We did eight years of studies on me and just understanding the energy, how it processes up in the brain, how it manipulates differently in different frequencies and different organs within the body, and how that applies to the whole process. We've been eight years of studying the working mechanisms of all this before we ever went into applications. The scientists back then kept saying, Ed, why don't you try it on healing? Why don't you try it on healing? I'm afraid I might cook somebody or something. 
Was I'm that not what, sure what I was doing. Was that the real fear when you were younger? I didn't know what, I knew I could uh-huh. do all kinds of things because I could do some really crazy things and I could repeat them. What was the craziest thing you could do? <sighs> okay, um, I, like I said, I'm from that very rural community there, Northeast Georgia Mountains. It's also that little bitty town they filmed the movie Deliverance in. So you kind of had a rough idea. And I grew up with bullies and um, kids that thought they had to beat up on other kids. And I was the weird kid in school and uh, run of the class. So they liked to pick on me a lot, seemed to make them feel big, up until about the third grade. And I, you know, when I would see the bullies coming at me and I would start getting scared, knew what they was getting ready to do. All of a sudden, one day I felt this crazy electric shock go through me and I had this going on and here come these four bullies at me and they got about 10 foot away from it. All of a sudden they go like that and I look up and the ball of them were just peeing down their legs (laughs) and uh, the electric field that I did when I'm scared caused their bladders to release. And after that happened about three times to them, they wanted to be my best friend. So you couldn't call it on I couldn't back, it back then, I back couldn't then. call it on. I couldn't command it to come on unless I was scared or frightened that I was getting ready to get attacked. I mean, I don't know if I want to ask you this, but I got to ask you this. And at some point when you were, you know, a little bit older and started getting interested in some kind of physical activity with another person, mm-hmm. what was sex like? Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, <laughs> I'm electrical. Uh-huh. Oh, y'all are just not even turned on. I can turn on things in the opposite sex there that they didn't <laughs> even know they had. So how would you reveal that? Like, where would, I mean, because I also uh-huh. imagine that, that, that the I human, guess you're interested in women. So the yeah. girl might be, you know, mm-hmm. a little, um, you know, it might be a little scary too. Yeah, right? that's, I guess, why I ain't got no girlfriend. I scare them all off. Oh, my God. But not really. I mean, I haven't yeah. focused on anything. I've focused yeah. on research and trying to get sure. all this going. So sure. I have, I've left that just kind of off on the back. But uh, when I was younger, like, let's go back to high school. Yeah. Okay, when the girls started looking pretty. Mm-hmm. Then I had certain features turn on. It came online in me. None of the other boys had because they weren't, playing with energy. Right. So these other special abilities that would activate in me would come on under the need for them. Okay, then when the girls started looking pretty and I would walking through the halls at school and stuff, all of a sudden one day I felt this funny electric charge all through my body. Oh, there was a woo-wee. And next thing I know, wham, I got cold caught. I mean, she slapped the shit out of me. What, what happened? She thought I had my hands all over. <laughs> it was my eyes. But they feel, it, it feels like... You know? Oh, my God. I, I learned I can transmit an electrical ray with my eyes that you can feel on your bodies. Now, today I use it medically to cause people with COPD and asthma to clear, and a, for just an example. But I can turn it up so strong, I can cause a point on your skin to start burning feeling if I look and focus in on it real strong and activate it. My buddies hated me because when we went out to the neighboring towns there to the honky-tonks in high school, after we were up, you know, teenagers, and we'd slip off the little bars over yonder in the next little towns, I'd get in there and I'd start playing with the energy. I'd pick out the prettiest girl in there, then I'd lock onto her, and that's all I had to do is make eye contact once, and then 
20 minutes later, she was just drawn across the floor to me. And it wasn't me having to go say anything or talk or be blah, blah, bull or, you know, like the other guys had to be to draw attention. All I had to do was make eye contact the right one. And I could send an electrical charge down through her that would just turn on all kinds of things. She got real curious. That's the movie. You know? (laughs) I mean, I can, there's the human experience. Y'all ain't even experienced. You're just experiencing plain life. I experienced the life of what a, like a god would experience here. Pretty good. Yeah. So, but uh, so let's 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 fast forward a bit. Um, you were, but at, at a certain point, also, you were saying you didn't want to move into healings yourself, try healings yourself, because it was hard to control. Well, yeah, hard to I, know I what didn't was have happening. that fine a control. I mean, I could excite women with mm-hmm. it. I could make bullies pee all over themselves, or I could sit back in the back of the classroom and make the teacher wobble all over the place. Or By the time you were older, understanding this energy more, understand, did, did you begin to learn about other modalities like no, like Reiki no. or Qigong. I, like or, I said, I come from my little neck of the woods, which was controlled Southern Baptist. They controlled the TV channels. They controlled everything. We only had two TV channels. I watched a lot of uh, Gomer Pyle and Andy Griffith growing up, and that was it. We I never heard the term Reiki metaphysical and that. And if you look at your late, re, most recent news down in Georgia, they're banning yoga because they think that's part of the devil down there. Here in 2018, Insane. they're banning yoga in Georgia. Insane. Yeah. So yeah. you somehow, though, heard about the professor in I was watching. Michigan. Well, in high school, I kept trying to ask physics and science teachers and all them about this body electric energy. None of them knew anything. And so I just kind of quit asking because nobody could ever tell me. So I just kind of on the side just kept searching for anything that would be related to it. And just by accident, one night I was watching 2020 at my grandpa, grandparents' house there, and the TV was just on. And Dan or whoever was doing it said, uh, "We're going to have this uh, scientist that has invented this equipment that'll measure electrical energy in people's bodies." And that caught my attention real quick. And so I just flicked on the video video cassette recorder on the TV and recorded that little section. And it was just a five-minute clip that they did on Dr. Levingood and his equipment there and how it was he had invented it primarily to uh, quantify pain signals in people. Interesting. Because he had done it, originally done it through the University of Michigan there because of the hospital systems getting tired of people coming in to get pain drugs without pain. And they wanted to find a way that they would quantify if they had pain or not. And so they originally built the equipment to be so super sensitive to measure the electrical pulses going through the nervous system. So how did you find the professor? I called him up on the phone after I found out where he was at in the bylines. I kept watching them as they would roll by, and it said, Dr. Levengood, and then finally said, Grass Lake, Michigan. And so I called up information for Grass Lake, Michigan. Sure enough, he was in the directory, and I called him up, talked to him for a minute, told him about what I could do, things, and he was real skeptical and stuff. But he said, my machine would pick up on it if that is really going on. So uh, the video's on my YouTube site there for when I did that the very first time with him. And uh, you can clearly see it. I drove that machine crazy compared to normal people.
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. So the energy that is coming through is it the same as when people refer to chi or to prana? In the same rough field of that, it's just measurably much, much, much stronger. Because of the capabilities the qi, of the people okay, who are using they it? They have measured qigong and chi masters. They've measured reiki people. They've measured hands-on, lay of hands. All these other modalities have been run through the labs at all the universities and everything, you know, looking to see if they could find anything. Dr. Levengood found that people that did, that concentrated on energy, meditated, did Reiki, things like that, he found some of them in the 24 to 28,000 microamp range. So they were a little bit higher. There was a little more something going on in them, in all of them. And then he got uh, a boost. A Qigong master came in there one day, and he pumped out at 98,000 microamps. You're still four times that. I'm still four times that. They don't, and they don't know why. Well, see, these Qigong masters started on up later in life because they got the idea and fell under the under the schooling or teaching of these other masters. I started from birth, okay? So it wired my brain up differently than those that started after the brain matures. Once your brain has matured, if you weren't processing all these energy flows in it, from you know the kid level on up, then your brain locks down into one-sided, left-brained or right-brained. It locks down into one state of consciousness, primarily alpha when you're awake. Me, my brain's operating all the time, alpha to theta, all the time. Part of it's in alpha, part of it's in delta, part of it's in beta, part of it's in theta, and it's constantly moving, it never stops. Even in the sleep studies. So when you're saying that the brain waves are constantly shifting and changing, this is you're moving into states that are more like a dream state. More yeah, like a I can be. State. I'm straight awake, and my dream state lines will show up at the same time, also in the EEG mapping. In fact, uh, we were talking about doing the assemblage show, so my scientists have agreed to come up here. And do it with me. This is you're going to do an event in New York City. An event in New York City, and Where the, the scientists, scientists. Which scientists? Dr. Ross Dunseith from the DOPS lab at the University of Virginia, who you're now currently who doing I am now research currently with. research with. John Kruth, the director of the Ryan Research Center down at by Duke University, he will also join us to go into the research I've been doing with him since 2008 in the bioenergy biophoton lab at the, the Ryan Research Center. And they're going to come up here for they're the gonna event. They're going to come up here for the event. And what are they going to, they're going to be talking they're with gonna you? They're going to talk with the... Sharing the results of the research? Sharing the results of the research and everything when we present this program that we do. We're just formulating it right now. But when we get it all put together, they have agreed to come. So the, in the 90s, mm-hmm. you said there was a peer-reviewed paper that was published out of that research. 
uh, from Dr. Levengood's research. Dr. Levengood. From right. Dr. Levengood and Dr. John Gay. Actually, they published four papers. I got credits on the first one, but you can see how I continued through it. But uh, the first paper uh, came out in 97 on the International Society of Subital Energy and Energy Medicine, I seen. So just to step back for a second. So since the 97, that the papers that began to be published. They began published Dr. in 97. And that, that was group, by Dr. Levengood and Dr. John Getty. Dr. Le- Levengood and Dr. John Getty. Getty. Mm-hmm. The and, and research then, since then has not yet been published in peer-reviewed journals. No, because, not yet, because we, it was a dial period. When 9-11 happened, several projects I was on got shut down. The whole research and everything, Homeland Security came in and took all the research data and everything because we were sending signals outside the boundaries of the United States. And when that happened, they shut down anything that was going on outside of that. They didn't ask what or why. And they thought that it was equipment that the main lab was using, uh, just some references to me. So when they came in and shut down the lab, the scientists called me up and said, hey, cease this, stop everything. for you know." And so I laid low for seven years. Didn't do nothing in, with the science community. And how did it get started back up again? I got mischievous hair growing in me, and I couldn't stand it no more in about 2007. So I wrote a letter to the uh, Society of Scientific Exploration asking about anybody that was doing conscious energy research that, you know, I was the guy, you know, Dr. Levengood had published. So people knew me in that community, knew of me from Mm -hmm. Dr. Levengood's research on me. And so they introduced me to Dr. Steve Bowman down at Duke University in the Bioenergy Biomissions Lab that was also with the Ryan Research Center. And I called him him up over the telephone, and he had a, a medical problem, and so I was able to give him a demonstration over the phone that was highly significant to him. I made him get warm and tingly all over his body, and he said, oh, my God, will you come over to our lab and let us test you? So I went over to the bioenergy biophoton lab there at the Ryan Research Center, and once I got in that lab chamber, I made that thing go nuts. So they signed me into, I'm, I'm in a lifelong project now with them. So, so I've you, got my own projects there at the Ryan Center. So you'd already begun to do some energy healing work by yes, that point. Yes, by then I'd already started doing a few things. How did that open up for you? By accident one day. Me and my buddy was out riding around the lake, and we seen all of a sudden this plume of smoke coming up. Um about a mile out in front of us, and we were going around a little windy, curvy road, and we got in that smoke look strange because we're way out in the country. And then when we got there, we came up on what what was a head-on collision, and the vehicles were on fire, and the people were crawling, trying to get out of them, and they were all broken up real bad and everything. So my buddy, we stopped. He went to one vehicle, and I went to the other vehicle and assisted them while the vehicles were burning right there. And the one boy that had hit them is a hunter, and so he had shotgun shells and rifle shells, and they were blasting and going off, so we were having to scramble to get them away from the burning vehicles because of all the explosions from the bullets and stuff going off in there. And I didn't have really, you know, worry about them, you know, because they're not inside a rifle or a gun. So when they'd go off, the stuff would just kind of right scatter, or you'd hear it bing, bing, bing off the inside of the truck and stuff. But it was scary, and we Sounds got them back. Scary. But I started doing my energy, and I was just 
naturally it just turned on. And the guy I was working on, Ed Pauls, he was one of the head real estate guys around there. And uh, when I started working, I just my energies just came on. And he he was in a lot of pain and everything. And when I started pulling on him, my energies came on. He looked up at me and said, oh, my God. I just went totally numb. I don't feel anything. And I was, you know, holding the energy on him there. And uh, I don't know what I was doing. It just, it just came on, and it kept an electrical field around him that kind of put him in a suspended state of animation or so until the ambulances finally got there and took over. But I just, like, stopped everything that was going on. The bleeding he had going on just stopped. He had some bad cuts and gashes on him, and they just stopped bleeding. You know, I don't know what was going on. I didn't try to figure it out. I just tried to just keep doing whatever it was I was doing because I was keeping him alive and until the, the guys, the ambulance and paramedics got there. And the burns on his body? Were they- the burn, the little ones he had, he didn't have no pain or anything. He hadn't, couldn't even feel them. He was just barely burnt. They had got it back just enough where it wasn't burning. It was burning under the hoods, and then it the fire grew back into the cab, but they were already on the ground at that point. And we got to them when it was getting there. And I, by the time I got them oh, about six feet away from the truck is when the shotgun shells and the bullets started going off. And that's when we knew we had to really get them on back quick. So what was happening for you when you were doing this? A crazy electrical field that I kind of had known about all my life was just wide open. And what did it feel like? in your body how did it it was moving energy i was like a plasma field i could feel the electrical flows and it was applying it to him and then i went over to check on my buddy with the other guy and he was hurting real bad he had the steering wheel went in him broke ribs broke his pelvis broke his leg three places bone was sticking out and i went over there and did him put my hands on him he went pain free. So, what were you actually thinking? What was going through your mind when you were? I doing was this? just freaking out that these guys were going to die here in front of me, and uh, I don't know what I could feel this energy come on. So, my intuition was just to apply it. Something was. It was just Something, like an instinctual instinction. Yeah, and so I just went there, and when I put my hands on them, uh, they went pain free. It's just like they they went into suspended animation. Like they didn't even know what was going on around them. When you're doing that in that state, do you see things you don't normally see? I see things that you don't normally see all the time. There's other things around us that if you're not energetically aware of, you can't see them. Okay, during that wreck, yes, there was something there. I wasn't paying attention to it. My focus was to take care of these two people because I knew them also. After that point, I started searching people out that were in pain and trying those that were open-minded enough. I had to leave my little country town because they're not open-minded around there. You moved. That's why I travel so much. I didn't move. I still got my business and property there and family property and stuff there, but I... I have to leave kind of there to make a living at what I do with the energy because everybody's still very kind of religious there. But at that point, mm-hmm. you were still working, printing photographs. Printing working. photographs and running the photography studio. So you made a decision around then that you wanted to shift your life. I wanted to shift my life into this because this was far more fascinating. And when you say this, you're holding your hands up and wiggling your fingers. Because I can feel it. There is... 
something. There is this stuff around us here that when I turn the power on, I can lock into this field around us and I'm part of it. I'm one with it. And I can just, it's, it's far more fun and than just normal life to be part of. I'm connected to the planet. So the planet has this subconscious effect. And there's a lot of destruction and death going on to various species on the planet, and that's registering in this energy. So I've got a driving force for me to bring the awareness of the life force of the planet, of all this that we are, out into the open. It's not always the easiest thing to do to make that kind of work your livelihood. No, it ain't. But I'm having fun at whatever I can accomplish or make out of it. Could you talk a little bit about your own personal process of like, you know, it's it's a frightening thing to step away from the way you've been making your living all your life till you're maybe what, in early, late 40s, yeah. early 50s, and you're like, okay, uh-huh. now I'm going to dive into something that's, you know. Well, it slowly has progressed and run parallel in with my other work. Even though I was printing pictures, I would had a few customers that would take me up on this, and then they started being repeat customers on it, but not enough to support me in it in my area. So you would yeah. travel. So I would travel. And I started getting invites to come do little lectures. And once I go do a little lectures, and then when I stand the audience up and I turn this energy on and they all can feel it and experience it, then the doors started opening. So one lecture opened up three more lectures in these other towns. And I'd go do them. Then those would open up more lectures over in these other towns. And then these friends over here would open up over here. And then I got down into Florida and that opened up a bunch of doors. Then I met people in Florida that introduced me to all y'all up here. Up here in New York. In New York. Come from people from New York here that were in Florida attending uh, health institutes down there that I was part of. And I met people there and it flipped them out so much that they finally got me to come up here. I was always scared of New York City. I was the one place I didn't want to go driving around. Oh, really? Yes. You never came to this city? Never came this way. I've always stayed in Florida and up through the Midwest. And I go all the way to Minnesota and work with children with DIPG brain tumors. I'll go all over different parts of the country and work with different groups of people with different problems. I heard a story that you are not necessarily thrilled about the idea of getting on an airplane. And uh, Dr. Ross Dunseith will tell you why. Also, my electric fields messes with the instrumentation, so I drive everywhere. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Well, I went flying time or so with my brother. He has a pilot's license and a little Cessna and stuff, and he would bring different planes up that he would borrow from buddies or rent, and the planes would be in perfect shape unless I got in them. And what would happen? Well, they were okay until we got about 20 feet off the ground. And then the, the things they use for guidance are called beams, beam system, which took one radio signal from one transponder and another radio signal from another transponder, and wherever the beams crossed on the instruments, that was your guidance system on the plane. With me in the plane, those things never could get a lock. So they'd have to, have to fly by to eyesight. By eyesight, by visual. And we noticed, he noticed uh, a couple other things, sensors in the plane, uh, compass headings and things that weren't right either. After I got off the ground, once I got uncoupled from the ground, I started generating my own static field inside that aluminum plane. So I'm a, a, a static field, just like being able to make the bullies pee on themselves and that this electrical field is all natural with me and it's running 
400, 500,000 times more potent than what's coming out of anybody else. Nobody else ever affected instruments like I do. That's why I go to these universities. I can affect similar instrumentation that they have, radio frequency instrumentation, and make it go nuts. So you have been discovering this through the research. Through the research. Better and, and better what's better. actually happening mm-hmm. in your own experience. Correct. You're able to get the, there's a feedback loop. Correct, correct. And then you're able to work on developing your own capability. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that process for yourself? Well, um, I've got it now developed to the point that I can just about affect a very positive change in any type of nervous system issue in people. Do you know what neuropathy is in people's feet? The numbing, the pain, the numbing and all that? I can generate an intense electrical field in my hand strong enough to go clean through people's shoes and cause the nerve endings that are damaged, the neuropathy nerve endings that are damaged in people's feet to heal themselves and reconnect in about four minutes to where the feet will go back to normal in about four minutes. I, have, I can do about nine out of every 10 that have any form of neuropathy, normally can clear it up in four or five minutes. So, I also work with stroke patients with uh, that are all seized up, paralyzed. Mm-hmm. Once I start feeding the energy backwards in a paralyzed limb, the paralyzed fingers and stuff will start doing this stuff and stuff, and then they'll start coming loose. You also began to make videos and to work with uh, people remotely, say, through a Skype or some other kind of, you know, video call technology, right? We accidentally learned because I started getting requested to be on radio shows around 1998, and I get to be on a talk show here and there and yonder now. And then during the talk shows, the, the person interviewing would have me demonstrate the effects that I could do over the airwaves and then they would record it. We didn't know at the point in time originally that when they were recording it, that it would work when the people watched the recording in the future. And sure enough, it's just as strong. What you're, what you're suggesting is that, that the energetic transmission mm-hmm. is not space or time dependent. No. No, I can create the same amount of strength signal on the other side of the planet from sitting right here. I could have somebody over my Bluetooth, telephone, Skype, and I can lock in on them, and I can run such a strong electric field through the quantum universe from me to them that it makes them get hot, tingly, warm, and causes their body's healing systems to start functioning and power up to where whatever pain issues they have get, starts getting corrected. I do, I do the same thing to everybody. I don't do anything differently or stuff. All I do is tune people up by shooting a lot of juice into them. And their bodies naturally tune up then. When you do that, when you're doing that healing work, how, I mean, can you just do it at a continual rate? At Correct. a certain point, you get tired, you need I've some always rest. got it turned on. So, but it requires your conscious, deliberate attention on somebody. Just a to feel little it. bit, if yeah. they're hardcore. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they're not receiving it or not things, then I'll lock on into them a little bit stronger. Okay, but let's say we're sitting here together now. You should be tingling just a little bit. Yeah, I do actually got a little bit of a tingle. You know that if people are feeling that, it's because mm-hmm. they've been telling you this. Yeah, been telling me this all along. I cannot oh, say nothing. It. I could have not said anything at all. And after 10 or 15 more minutes, people will 
I can tell when it's working through them. You can see like the physical cues, mm-hmm. how they're responding. With everybody. Right. Yeah. I've had fun watching that in some people, especially when the Jehovah Witness come knocking on the door. Uh, yeah. What happens with them? Well, my buddy called me up one day and said, here come the Jehovah's again. We've tried everything. We can't scare them off. Why don't you try that magic stuff you do, Ed? So I let them come. They went knocking on my door. There was an older guy teaching three younger couples how to knock on doors and bring through the Jehovah thing. I said to him first, I said, I'll let you tell me about Jehovah, but I would like to tell you about my experiences afterwards. So while they were telling me about Jehovah, all I was doing, I wasn't listening to their words. I was just hitting that little frequency in them to get the lock on to them. And I started running energy back through them there and them standing all around me. And I got their feet to tingling enough to where they were walking around. They were like getting Uh real hot feet. So when he quit, the guy quit talking. I said, well, what do you think about energy medicine? Uh, well, Jehovah does that, blah, 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 but that's all. I said, well, you feel that tingling in your feet, don't you? And all of them looked at, yeah, mine are tingling, mine are tingling. And before they could say anything else, I set up a quick electric gravity wave, pushed them backwards and reversed it, started pulling them all toward me, and they couldn't stop it. And I just pulled and pulled and pulled them, started grinning like crazy and pulled them. And then I let go of it, and when I did, ah, they went screaming, they jumped, they run, they went and jumped in their van, and they cleaned out two ditches getting out of our neighborhood, and they ain't been back to me again. <laughs> so my buddies love it. When I come home, it, they clean out whole, that my side of town. They don't come around me. Do you have any kind of personal spiritual practice that you do, like a meditation practice or something? That, I'm always meditating. How do you? How does that feel to you when you say you're always meditating? What is that well, like? I've got this, like this little electric hum you feel in your body mm-hmm. coming from me right now. I always have that. Is that it? That's because this is, there's so much things going on in my head. So you're, uh, but you developed, I've developed over the last 20 years mm-hmm. improvements in your practice. Correct. And I'm wondering what kinds of exercises you might have done. What do you might have, like, in terms of your own way of focusing your attention? Your the more own, I use it, the more I learn. So using the energy. Using the energy. And, and then turning it on all the time. Turning it on all the time. When you're talking to people, you're like, mm-hmm. you're also playing with it. Mm-hmm. You're feeling a little bit here mm-hmm. and there. You're just kind of. Well, when I'm hanging around the physicists, like I hung out at the University of Chicago. I hung out with John Irwood, lived in the house with him. And he had just retired in 1996 as the energy efficiency specialist for the particle accelerator from Fermilab and University of Chicago. He started in 1940 as Enrique Fermi's lab technician and built the first atomic bomb and the first nuclear reactor. In fact, the old house we were living in, he was heating the thing with a small version reactor in the basement. Oh, my God. Yeah. It was using beryllium instead of plutonium. From him, I learned all kinds of things, you know, about how science was done. We used to take me to labs there at the University of Chicago. We'd get on elevators, go 10 floors underground, and be in huge labs. For real. And they had instruments and things down there. Now, everything I did with him was off the record. He just had keys to everything there because he was the guy that built all the experiments at UFC there from 1940 to 1996. All the Manhattan Project type stuff, he built them. So the things he was doing with you, he was studying? He wasn't studying. He would, It was so funny. Uh, he said, we spent millions and millions of dollars building this particle accelerator, and Ed, you walk up to me and deliver more energy with your brain than we could even think of getting out of that damn thing. 
And this is something that you know, you have taught other people how to do, adults. Yes. Who had lost that capability yeah. they might have had as a child. Not, yeah, but you got to devote to it. This ain't Reiki where you're going to go pay $300 and overnight become a master. This is something you have to work at. Now, children, I'm, I really want to get a children's foundation set up because I can literally hand this to kids and just step back, give them a little instruction and back off from it, and they'll go crazy with it. I've got several kids going crazy with it around the country. Every time I do these travels, parents bring their eight, seven, eight, nine, even a four-year-old, and I've got them playing with the energy, and then each year when I go back through, oh, my God, the teacher, all the kids are all picking up on it. They're all doing it in the classroom. So the other kids that I taught are now teaching all their buddies and other kids how to do it. That's lovely. You know, so it's just a domino effect. You find you can do it your own personal game in a way where you're able to like, I'm going to get this out of it. I'm going to get that out of it. I'm going to take advantage of these people in some way. I don't way. do it like that. No. Do you think that, how would that change the way you work with the energy if you did? Probably take it away from me. Nah. I mean, I don't know. I just, that ain't my way. I've never felt right by setting really a price on it. I've always left it at donation. You know, I don't exclude anybody. So the way that you're doing it, the way that you're making it available as a, mm-hmm. in your own livelihood yeah, is you're really not Charging 500 bucks an hour to... I mean, I could get it probably, but uh, it ain't what I'm here for. I've got to wake up a bunch. It'll slowly come. That'll come to me eventually. But uh, right now, I've got to get it in the hands of a bunch of kids and people. That's a beautiful thing. Yep. So that's what I'm trying to do. Appreciate it very much. Ed, thank you so much for taking the time today. And if people want to find out more about the work you're doing, they come to... I have a website, just homemade, Ed Edwards, www.eddedwards.com. Remember, my first name has two Ds in it, E-D-D. All right, man. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Appreciate it. Enjoyed it. It's hard not to listen to Ed Edwards tell his story and wonder, is this for real? But here's what I can tell you. When I first met Ed last year, I personally experienced a few of the effects that Ed is able to create. Heat from his hands, an energetic force moving me from a distance. These were palpable physical feelings. The next time we met, he was able to do more to me and to others I was with in the room. Now my friend Maxie Cohen, who he considered to be the godmother of Evolver, by the way. Maxie, who is an award-winning filmmaker, is shooting a documentary about Ed. And she's been interviewing the research scientists at UVA and elsewhere, corroborating what Ed has said. For instance, the UVA researcher said specifically that Ed should not get on an airplane because he messes up the instruments in the cockpit. What does it mean for a human being any human being, even just one, to have this capability to work with energy in this way. What does it say about the rest of us who may all have this capability, latent though it may be? Here's where science can really be of value. Empirical testing in pursuit of appropriate questions, where with a skeptical but open curiosity, we explore these possibilities and allow what we discover to shape our understanding of ourselves. In the meantime, as the data filters in and our worldview hovers in a state of flux, what actually impresses me most about Ed is not the superpowers he may have or the wild stories. 
What impresses me is his dedication to be of service to others. The lesson I take away from Ed is that by focusing on the few things that really matter, that's how the greatest opportunity for connection to source becomes available. And that source comes through in a remarkable variety of ways. I want to thank Ed Edwards again for being on the podcast. And thank you for listening. If this podcast piqued your curiosity about energy healing, and you'd like to learn from Energy Ed himself how to do what he does, then consider signing up for the Evolver Learning Lab course, Awaken Your Energy Body, Healing Practices for Everyday Life. This three-part interactive video course will introduce you to the practices and techniques that Ed uses, and it can be taught, even online. If you're listening to this podcast in real time, today is June 20th, 2018, and the course has just started. Sign up now at EvolverLearningLab.com and you'll get the first lesson as a recording and the second two live. And as Ed explained, the video recording is also an effective way to connect to this teaching. You can follow us on Instagram at The Evolver Podcast and on Facebook at Evolver Social Movement. Remember to subscribe to The Evolver on iTunes, Acast, or on the podcatcher of your choice. We'd love to know what you think. Please post a comment on iTunes or email us at theevolver at evolver.net. Thank you to our producer, Jose Alfaro, and the ACAST team. Our theme music is Measure by Measure by Paul D. Miller, a.k.a. DJ Spooky, from his album The Secret Song, and our interstitial music is Sunu by The Human Experience and Rising Appalachia from their album Soul Visions. That's all for now. We'll be back next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.